We are in Daniel chapter 5. You know the story well, the writing on the wall. This could be a great, a great children's story, but we're talking about the fall of one of the greatest empires that ever was due to uh, corruption and, and misattention. And if you really get into it uh, any, with any depth at all, you realize that this is far worse than a children's story. Uh, you know, for the longest time, critics claimed that Daniel could not be trusted. Uh, actually, I, when I say the longest time, I would say the last, I don't think 200 years is, I think that may be too long. Say the last 175 years with German higher criticism came a skepticism of the Bible. And because of that, a lot of these books began to be looked at with what they said was scientific reason. And they decided that there's no way Daniel could have been written at the time that the Bible says Daniel was written. Now, they're ignoring the fact that Jesus said Daniel did write this book. And they're also ignoring the fact that 300 years before Christ, the book of Daniel was, was translated into the Greek, which they had copies of, which we call the Septuagint. And uh, as a result, it's, Daniel is one of the most documented books that you could find in history, that in Isaiah. Uh, but uh, the critics said, well, their first argument was that nobody could make these prophecies uh, that Daniel made as accurate as he did. So it had to be written after history happened rather than before history happened. Well, nobody could make these prophecies, but God can. I mean, that's the whole point. Now, the other thing that they complained about, critics would complain about, is that, the, and one of the proofs that they would put, is that our main character here, I don't know if that's a main character. I always think of Daniel as a main character, but I'll, I'll just say that Belshazzar, as king of Babylon, there's no record in history, or there was no record in history of any king of Babylon named Belshazzar. And they use that as proof to say that there's no way that Daniel is accurate. Now, my argument, of course, is that every word in this Bible is absolutely accurate. And where we disagree with it, we just need to learn more. We haven't discovered enough. Well, it turned out in 1940 that a cylinder was discovered uh, and from that time period, and it showed that there was a guy named Belshazzar. He was Nabonius' son. Now, history knows that Nabonius was the king at the time that the Persian Empire conquered Babylon. We know that from history. But we had no record of Belshazzar until this particular cylinder was discovered with his name etched on it. And what, what happened was Nabonius was actually out fighting wars at the time of the, uh, against Persia at the time of the fall of Babylon. And he left his son, Belshazzar, as a co-regent. So there's co, there's two kings. Now, that's going to play into this thing because uh, when, when Belshazzar wants an interpretation, he's going to offer Daniel a third of the kingdom. And he could only offer a third because his father is a third and he'd be a third and Daniel would be the third. Uh, so last week when we looked at this, we saw Nebuchadnezzar uh, come to faith in the God of Daniel, the God of the Jews. And not surprisingly, we don't really hear from Nebuchadnezzar again. Scholars think that he died shortly after that, or he, he just uh, drifted off into obscurity. They really don't know what happened to him. We have no record. Josephus tells us that Nebuchadnezzar, di Nebuchadnezzar died after a reign of 43 years. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was the general that conquered Jerusalem and carried Daniel off 
as a captive. Nebuchadnezzar became king while he was in Jerusalem because he'd heard that his father had died. So from the start of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Daniel was a slave. Now, he, Josephus tells us, Josephus is a Jewish historian that wrote for the Roman Empire, uh, tells us that uh, Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 B.C. Now, they believe that today's events, the, the Belshazzar writing on the wall incident, happened 23 years after Nebuchadnezzar ceased to reign. Now, if you put that together, that's 66 years after Daniel was first taken into captivity, 43 for Nebuchadnezzar and 23 more for Belshazzar. Uh, well, to work our way up to Belshazzar. Placing Daniel around 80 years of age. Now, at this point, he's too old to make the trip back to Babylon. And last time I talked to you, I said it was 1,163 miles based, and I told you the route number. That, of course, that road wasn't there. I looked it up on Google today, and it said it's 1,600 miles from Jerusalem to uh to Babylon. So the truth is, we don't know what route they took, but it's somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 miles that Daniel had to walk, and he's too old to make it back. When the returnees returned, they were much younger. It was the next generation, and it took them four months to get back. So it's a pretty good trip. If you could picture leaving Vermont now and walking to Atlanta, Georgia, you'd have an idea of the trip. Uh, and Daniel, at 80 years of age, is thinking, no, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to make that walk. Uh, now, before Nabonius, which is Belshazzar's father, the king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a son, and his name was Amel, Amel Marduk. And the Bible refers to him as evil Merodach. Turns out they hated him worse than they hated uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And after only nine months, they beat him to death. There's a message in there. Uh, Finally, one of Merodach's sons, Nabonius, reigned for 17 years, and that was after two generals attempted a coup. And uh, Nabonius reigned for 17 of those 23 years after, uh, after Nebuchadnezzar. I'm getting this messed up. I'm sorry. So it turned out that Nabonius was hated almost as much as uh, evil Murdoch was hated. And he actually built a home in the Arabian Peninsula and spent most of his time away from Babylon because he, he was hated so much by his people. And he left, as you know, as I've already said, his son in charge. Um, at the time of this writing, Nabonius is king and he's out fighting the Persian army. He's got the Babylonian army out there and they're trying to stop the Medes and the Persians. The Persians have already conquered the Medes. They've combined their armies and now they're moving against Babylon. And at the writing of this, this particular chapter, it is believed that Babylon itself was under siege from the Persian army. Uh, so at this point that we're talking about the writing on the wall, the, 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 the Persian army has surrounded Babylon. And, and to give you an idea of Babylon, I know, I know I told you it was 15 miles square and it had 300 foot walls and the, 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 the top of the walls were wide enough for six chariots to race around it. It had an inner wall and an outer wall, and it had a moat in the middle. And, and the Euphrates River flowed right through the city, so they'd never run out of water. And to give you an idea of the size of it, one wall of the Babylonian Empire would stretch from Middlebury, now, up Route 7 to Ferrisburg. 
and then you turn to the next turn at the wall. So it's 15 miles. When you look at a map of Addison County, the city of Babylon would cover two-thirds of Addison County. It's really a remarkable city. It was one of the wonders of the world. And uh, because of that, because of their impregnability, I guess that's the right way to say that word, they, they were pretty content. Even though the entire Persian army was perched all the way around them, they knew there was no way they could get in. The walls were so high that you couldn't build a ramp to get up there. And hence, the reason for this party was to show all the leaders and friends and uh, supporters of King Belshazzar that he wasn't worried, that he, 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 he knew he had it under control, that the Persians couldn't do anything to Babylon. The city had food, they had water, they had gardens, they had sheep, they had oxen, they had everything they need. They were the world superpower. They had nothing to be afraid of. Nothing could harm them, they thought. They were fine. Just stay inside and everything will be all right. So we read, Belshazzar the king, co-regent or vice president, if you will, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. That's Daniel chapter 5 and verse 1. I'm going to read the entire chapter if I can make it that far. A thousand princes, a thousand rulers with their wives and their entourage, probably over 2,000 people. The room that they've excavated where this was held, by the way, uh, Saddam Hussein is the one that excavated it, and he's actually, well was until he was hung he was actually remodeling this and this room is one of the things that you can visit today it's 56 by 176 feet long the great hall it was called it's already been restored by Saddam Hussein even though they're surrounded by the Persian army this this party this party goes on now it's amazing when you think about the fact that God told Belshazzar's grandfather that the Persian Empire would be the next empire. So he's already been warned that Babylon will fall, and he's ignoring the prophecies. He's ignoring the warning. They get drunk, and they dance into the night. So verse 2. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar, and that's really his grandfather, uh, his, his grandfather, they, they didn't separate those as... When they, when they said those words, they didn't separate father from grandfather from great-grandfather, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his prince and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels. I'm skipping the rest because it repeats. Verse 4, they drank wine. They praised the gods of gold, of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. I don't know if you thought about that, but that's the same gods we worship right here in this country. And I, as, I, as I prepared for this, I, I was amazed at the parallels between the United States and the Babylonian Empire. And this place falls in one night. This is a great move, Belshazzar. Not only do you ignore the prophecies of the one God that your grandfather told you was the one true God, not only are you surrounded by an army of what you know to be the prophetically the rising Persian Empire, and now you decide to offend the one true living God. Not only do you throw a party and get drunk, but you pull out his holy implements out which were stolen from his temple, and you drink in them to spite God. A great move, great move. Verse 5. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand, 
and wrote over against the candlestick upon the pleaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. So he saw part of the hand, but not the arm or anything else. Then the king's countenance was changed. Now the purpose of this party was to show everybody that he wasn't afraid. Not only is he going to be afraid, he is literally, his bowels are literally going to be loosed. Uh, so he, he is terrified. Uh, and uh, the king's countenance was changed. Verse 6, his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Uh, apparently, when you read that, you think, well, where's Daniel? Well, Daniel's apparently retired. He figured he'd had enough to do with these crazy uh, pagan kings, and he's probably living in retirement with a... With he worked for this, this government, so he's probably got a nice pension. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be a third ruler in the kingdom. Notice the accuracy there. He couldn't give a half. He could only give a third. Then came in all the king's wise men, but he could not read the writing nor made known the king the interpretation thereof. In verse 9, then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled. His countenance was changed in him, and his lords, the other leaders of his community, were astonished at the fear that had overtaken him. They'd never seen the king so frightened. And now a queen comes in. We don't know which queen this is, but we think it may have been Nebuchadnezzar's wife, or should I say one of his wives, uh, now the queen, by reason of the words of the king of his lords, came into the banquet house. She'd heard, message got out, go get the queen. The king has fallen apart. The queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. There is a guy. And it, notice here, they use his name Daniel. He'd actually been so well recognized there that they stopped using his pagan name, and they started referring to him by his Jewish name. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences, dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, sorry, now let Daniel be called and he will show you the interpretation. Verse 13, then was Daniel brought in before the king and the king spake unto Daniel, art thou Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah? whom the king, my father, brought out of Jewry, I have heard of you, <laughs> yeah, four minutes ago, dude, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the king. And I have heard of thee, that thou can make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, you will be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shall be a third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself 
and give thy rewards to another, yet I will read the writing unto the king and make it known unto him the interpretation. Now, Daniel's had enough of this stuff, and he's saying, I, I don't need to be, I don't need to be a king. I don't need your money. I'm happy where I am with living the way I am. And then he goes to interpret it. But before he goes to interpret it, he has to put in just this little sermonette to say, you know, dude, you knew this stuff and you didn't listen. One day we're going to say that to the Congress of the United States. You knew better and you did it anyway. That's what he's saying. You knew better. We've known this. We've known this for 60 years. You could have been preparing for this. And thou, O king, art the most high God. O thou, king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, and remember that means grandfather, thy grandfather, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. Verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up, when pride got the best of him, and his mind hardened with pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses, and they fed him with the grass like an oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until, now I'm adding some words here, until he came to know that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that God will appoint it over whomsoever he will. Now this was the subject of our last chapter, so it should be familiar to us. But remember, it's been 25 years since the last chapter happened. So it's, it's appropriate to have a little reminder here. And you know, uh, Daniel's taken a minute here to uh, rebuke this king. The point, of course, you read in the next verse, And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. You knew better than this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, you get the feeling that Daniel, when he walked into that room and saw those precious items from his temple, his holy temple in Jerusalem, you almost get the feeling that it made him mad. And thou and thy lords, thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and you praise the gods of silver and gold and brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is. If you've ever read the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that's really based on this idea that even though we're lost, even though a person is lost and hopeless and helpless before God, every heartbeat, every breath in his body is dependent on the God of the universe to provide that life force. And the God in whose hand thy breath is and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. I mean, you're just snubbing your nose at the only true God. You're just picking out things you can do to deliberately upset God. Now, I swear, I feel like that's what's happening in our government right now. We're picking out things that we know will deliberately offend God. 
Verse 24, and then was the part of the hand sent from heaven and the writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Now, it reads in the King James, M-E-N-E-M-E-N-E-T-E-K-E-L-U-P-H-A-R-S-I-N. There, there should actually be another common there between the comma, between the U and the Parson should be another common comma. I'm not saying that word correctly. I'm sorry. And you have to understand that these were written without vowels. So what was certainly written and probably in Hebrew, because it makes sense in Hebrew, although Aramaic is very close, it was probably written in Hebrew and it was probably written either right to left or it was written vertically. We don't know. We don't, don't have a photograph. But it was probably written the letters, the Hebrew letters, M-N and then M-N again and then a space and then T-K-L. Remember, there's no consonants in there. And then the letter U and then the letter P-R-S. That's what they think was written on that wall. And that's what the King James translators translate to many, many Tekel U Farson, which is good. It's not bad. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but he didn't have, uh, Daniel didn't have all that to work from. He just had an MN. And then he had an MN, then he had a TKL, and then he had the letter U, and then he had PRS. This is the interpretation of the thing. Many, twice, means God has numbered thy kingdom. M-E-N-E means numbered. But the fact that God wrote it a second time means you're numbered and the numbering's done. We get this English expression, your number's up. I don't think anything's going to happen to me to my number's up. People say, well, your number's up. That's what it's talking about. You've been numbered, and you're numbered a second time and found wanting, see. Uh, the interpretation of the thing. Uh, tekel, the word T-K-L, if you put the consonants E in there, you can make different words out of this, you know, but the T-E-K-E-L means weighed. Thou art weighed in the balances, uh, Daniel said, and you're found wanting. Perez, P-R-S, with P-E-R-E-S, translates from the Hebrew divided. But if you do P-A-R-A-S, it says Persia. And it's interesting that Daniel reads that both ways. Uh, Daniel reads uh, divided Persia. Uh, he reads it both ways. Uh, so the U stands for our word and... And the PRS can be read Paris for divided or Paras for Persia. Daniel interprets it both ways. So basically he said, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. You're weighed in the balances and found wanting. The kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now Daniel could add that because he's the one that interpreted the last prophecy. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be a third ruler in the kingdom. <laughs> I, I don't know. This kind of smacks of uh, Joseph, you know, uh, with uh, Pharaoh. Here's this little Jewish slave that ends up king of Babylon the night that it falls. It's interesting. You think, well, I finally worked my way to the top, and now... Now a new king is taking over. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. But God has a plan in this. Daniel wants to be retired. He's 80 years old. He wants to be out of this thing. But God is going to use Daniel as a friend of Cyrus the Great who's going to actually send the people of Israel back to their homeland. Uh, Daniel's job is not done. Even though he's 80 years old, you think, oh, come on, I'm done. Let somebody else do it. No, God said, you're not done. 
Daniel will be instrumental in getting Israel back in the, in the land. And then verse uh, 30 reads, that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. So what happened was, history records that all the while that this party was going on, and, and, and everyone that should have been paying attention was drunk, uh, the uh, engineers of the Persian army, possibly under command of this unknown man named Darius, who may have been a general, he may have been a co-regent, we really don't know, but uh, probably under the command of Darius, he sent his, air, his engineers north of the city and they, they, they diverted the uh, Euphrates River. And as the water level began to drop, you know, the water, the Euphrates River ran right through the city and they had iron bars to keep people out. But as the water level began to drop, it dropped far enough to where the army could slip in under the uh, bars that they had put there. If they'd have been paying attention, they would have noticed that the, uh, the water level was dropping in the moat and they would have known to shut the inner gate but they were all drunk they weren't paying attention they thought they were impenetrable they thought they were the most powerful nation in the world nobody would ever attack us we're the greatest people on earth you know we don't have to worry the gods with a little g will protect us well i lost my place while this party's going on the entire city is being invaded they put their special forces in and opened the gates and they said there were parts of the city that didn't even know the city had fallen for three days. They came in and took over the city and nobody even knew it had happened until it was past tense. Without so much of a battle, the world empire of Babylon ends even without a whimper. Had the Babylonians been on guard, they could have stopped us, but they thought they were all right. Pride goes before a fall. Verse 31, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. He's 62 years old. So if he is a general, he's pretty old for a general, especially in that day and age. If he's a co-regent or if he's just a, a sub-head or a head of state under Cyrus, we don't know. History does not know this guy. And historians will, will say, we don't know this guy named Darius. Well, Daniel was there and he knew the guy. So I don't have any trouble believing that Darius was a real person and that Darius was the one, the first one, the first uh, Persian authority that came into the city. Uh, now, three days later, we find that Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, who is very well recorded in history, enters the city. He conquered the then known world, and having just subdued the Median Empire, now it became the Medes and the Persians, uh, as God predicted it would. Uh, now he's come in and subjugated the Babylonian, the Babylonian Empire. So three days after the fall of Babylon, Cyrus the Great walks in. Now, what's amazing here is that Belshazzar is dead. Nabonius, the, the, the real king, is in prison somewhere outside of the territory. He was conquered at some point. And who should greet him? The great Babylonian Empire. Who should greet Cyrus the Great but this Jewish slave named Daniel? Who, who 66 years ago was taken out of his homeland. God brings him out of retirement to orchestrate a return of Israel. So Belshazzar is dead. Nabonius is captured. Cyrus comes in and says, where is your king? And they said, oh, go get Daniel. 
He's the king. Well, he is the king. He had a third of the kingdom. The other two kings are dead. He's the king of Babylon. So to welcome this new emperor, Daniel's fifth emperor, by the way, to welcome him stands a Hebrew slave as head of state. Can you imagine that? And Daniel knows exactly what to say. Uh, he reads to Cyrus on the day he walks up those steps from the scroll of Isaiah, which was written 150 years before the Babylonian Empire. Now, I'm going to read excerpts from it, but if you're taking notes, you want to read Isaiah 44, verse 24, all the way down, well, most halfway through 45. I'm not going to read all of that because time is of the essence here, but I'm going to read some of it. So I'm going to read Isaiah 44, 24. So Daniel greets Cyrus with the scroll of Isaiah in his hand. Cyrus is a pagan king. He's not a believer. And Daniel reads, may I read to you something from our ancient scrolls? Yes, of course. And Daniel reads, thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, that he formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by itself. Now he goes on for six more verses describing the majesty of God before he reads verse 28. And you need to read the whole thing, but I didn't want to take your time to do it today. So you skip the 28 for now and then go back and read it later. This is this description of the high and powerful person of God himself. And you'll notice this capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, L-O-R-D. That's Jehovah. I am Jehovah. And then verse 28 he mentions 150 years before the event the actual name of Cyrus. That saith, verse 28, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. So God is calling out the king of Persia by name, 150 years before the event. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, I'm in verse 1 of chapter 45. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him. I will loose the loins of kings, that's Belshazzar, and open before him the two leave gates, that's the main gate of Babylon that was opened by his special horses that came in under the wall, and the gate shall not be shut. Verse 4 of chapter 45, Isaiah. For Jacob, my servant's sake, Jacob is another name for Israel, remember. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I, God says to Cyrus, I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. Even though you didn't know me, I gave you your name, and I called out your name 150 years before you were born so that you would hear this message. I am Jehovah, and there is none else. There's no God beside thee. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none beside me. I am Jehovah, and there is none else. I form the light. I create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, there is certainly a message in there uh, to Cyrus, and he heard the message. And it will be Cyrus the Great. 
that will send the Jews back just as God said he would. There'll be Cyrus that sends the next generation back, but not only will he send them back, he'll provide the soldiers, protect them on the way, and he'll provide the money that they need to do it. And when they get in trouble building down there, they're going to send an entourage back to Babylon, and once again Cyrus will send help down to help them rebuild the temple. So for the next 420 years, Israel, having been rebuilt, for the next 420 years, Israel will once again constitute as a nation just in time for the Lord Jesus to present himself. Now we'll go into that in a few weeks when we look at 183,883 days from the time Cyrus told them to rebuild the temple. The prophecy was that Jesus would present himself as the king. Now next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and that's the time we remember the 183,883 days. Exactly to the date, because we have the date when Cyrus told them they could rebuild the temple. We can count 183,883 days until you get to, I, I, I forget, I want to say May 15th, uh, but I, I, I'm going to have to go back to my notes because I don't remember the date that well. And that Jesus presented himself off of Bethany as the Messiah when he rode in on that donkey. On that very day that we've come to call Palm Sunday, did Jesus present himself. And these Jews were returned by this general in order to prepare their nation for the time that Jesus could return. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story of ignorance on the part of world leaders to ignore the truth, would ignore prophecy, and would ignore God. And it's an amazing story of a God who uses the good and the bad to accomplish his will. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Thank you for this opportunity once again to stand before your people and share your word with those who want to learn. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Lord, we do pray for our country. We pray for these folks that are running and making these terrible, immoral decisions all over our country. And now it looks like Canada as well. We just pray, Father, that, 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 that you would forgive us and that you would send, send a force for revival here, that you would cause a great revival to break out in our land before we completely lose hope here. We ask that you would bless this land once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right.